welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. I try not to keep anything from y'all. Some, including in my family, suggest I overshare and, and that there are things that I say on my program that perhaps I should not say, but I believe in as much transparency. I mean, there are things I don't go into with my family and stuff uh, on air. I don't want to overshare in that regard, but when I think something, I, I don't want to ever be in a position where I tell you something I don't believe is true. And unfortunately, I think some of the radicalization we've seen in our country and tribalism now is there are a lot of people who say things publicly they don't privately believe. Like, for example, the radio show hosts we know from their depositions before the nine or the January 6th committee didn't actually believe the election was stolen, but they sure were talking it up on, on their radio shows as if it was, leading people to believe it was true. I don't ever want to tell you something I don't believe is true. But And there are things I say that I, maybe I should, but I'm going to say it. Doggone it, I'm going to say it. Am I the only one who gets the serial killer vibe from George Santos? I mean, remember the Andrew Kuninen and, and what's his name, Versace dude? I mean, you, you pull up the picture of that guy in his sweater vest and you're like looking at the same guy, just a heavier set version of it. Am I the only one who looks at George Santos and thinks the lies are a distraction from the bodies? I can't be the only one. Can't be the only, I mean, every time I see the guy, I'm like, ooh, somebody needs to go check his basement. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you're offended, I'm sorry, Mr. Santos. I'm sorry if you're offended. But holy moly, um, it just, that is creepy. It's just creepy. I see someone, I I, I put it on, on Twitter last night, and um, so it says, this is beneath you. I may be beneath you, but nothing is beneath me, said the underminer. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I, uh, I, I don't know. This just is what a weird story. We're finding out more and more. In fact, we now know that it appears, based on the allegations, he hired an impersonator to impersonate Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff claiming to be Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff to convince people that he was the guy Kevin McCarthy wanted in New York. And that's one of the ways he was able to pick up support. It's, it's just intriguing. Oh, and now this is, this is, this is a funny one. Uh, Steve Scalise has just announced the heads of the national security committees, Mike Rogers, Mike McCall, Mike Boast, and Mike Turner. Mike Turner gets intelligence. Mike Boast gets veterans affairs. Mike McCall gets foreign affairs. Mike Rogers gets armed services. Uh, just, just fascinating. In any event, I digress. I have a story I want to talk about. It is off the beaten path of stories. But I'm going to devote this monologue to something you, you may not otherwise consider. You, you're not going to hear any other talk radio show talk about this, I'll tell you that. And it actually is a relevant, deeply relevant point. 
People consider me a foodie. I am not a foodie. I do not relish the experience of eating weird things because it's all the rage these days. I have no desire to go forage in the forest for scraps of wild daisy to put on a plate. I do not wish to eat a reindeer testicle. I saw some video, it came across my path on Instagram yesterday of some woman alleging that a deer testicle is a perfect substitute for mozzarella in a caprese salad. And I'm like, I know the hell it ain't. But there is this craze in food and it, it borders on the absurd. The number of restaurants who use tweezers to put things on plates in a certain position and to use like uh, liquid nitrogen to freeze the pansy that they then smash into pansy dust on top of the avocado toast that has been artisanally curated with uh, long-term sourdough. It, it, all of this comes from Noma. Noma is considered the best restaurant on planet Earth. It is in Copenhagen, which is in Denmark. Rene Redzepi is the world-famous chef. Uh, you can work as an intern at Noma for two to three weeks to a month and essentially write your ticket around the world Wherever, whichever restaurant you want to get into, that's how big a deal Noma is. If you, if you, you could for years, free of charge, volunteer, pay your way to Copenhagen, they would put you up, and you could work as an intern in a terrible, terrible situation for a couple of weeks, and then go wherever you wanted in the world. I actually, one of my, uh, it's about the only thing I really enjoy watching on Netflix are, are two food documentaries. One is somebody feed Phil, Phil Rosenthal. I'd love to hang out with that guy one day and just cook for him. Uh, and the other one is chef's table. I love chef's table. Chef's table was actually uh, recommended to me by a listener of this program. And I had to, I had to check it out. Um, so a listener, Julie Talbot, or one time recommended to me uh, this documentary called Chef's Table. I never heard of it, and I became hooked. And Julie may be listening right now on live stream. And um, I got hooked on, on Chef's Table and then found somebody feed Phil. And I just, I love both shows. She, uh, Chef's Table highlights some of the world's best chefs, people you may not have heard of, people who do unique experiences. Uh, and then there's somebody feed Phil. And one of the things that several of the people throughout the series of Chef's Table, they've done one on barbecue now. The current one is on pizza, which is not as good as the barbecue one. It's sometimes overplayed. They try to build these people up to be more than they actually are. But the actual series Chef's Table highlights world acclaimed chefs. And a lot of them went through um, Noma. In fact, one of the current ones in this current chef's table about pizza is this guy in Japan who randomly emailed Noma and said, hey, could I come intern for a couple weeks? They paid him nothing. He went to went to Copenhagen, worked for several weeks there, and then went back and he starts this pizza restaurant. It's a world-acclaimed pizza restaurant in Japan called Monk. 
Now, you're wondering, what's the angle? Why is Erickson going off in this direction? Well, there are a couple of things here that are relevant. There's another restaurant. First, let me set the table here, no pun intended, called Chez Panisse. You've probably heard of this restaurant. It's in Berkeley, California. And in the United States, Chez Panisse started the farm-to-table, local farm-to-table restaurant. Alice Waters, uh, acclaimed chef, cookbook author, runs this restaurant. It, it really is globally famous. Presidents of the United States have made pilgrimages there. When Barack Obama got elected president, she, she wrote him a very, even Anthony Bourdain at the time called her out on it, wrote him a very pretentious letter on how essentially we needed to rethink food. And, and she's a big advocate of everyone should just grow a garden in their backyard. And this is one of the most interesting things uh, is, is these people who believe that you and I have time to do this. Now, I know people in the Christian community who have gotten very Amishy farm to table. They have chickens in their backyard now. They try to find um, unpasteurized milk. They all love their essential oil, so there's a common theme there. But Noma is the big deal, and Noma has inspired so many of the crazes. If you go to a highfalutin restaurant and they're using liquid nitrogen, if they're using long-fermented and preserved vegetables and the like, if they're using tweezers to plate their plates, if they're using wildflowers and, and foraged ingredients and things like that, it all comes from Noma. That's where everything was inspired. Saffron ice cream in a beeswax bowl grilled reindeer heart on a bed of fresh pine, all these things, and $500 a plate, a multi-tasty menu, $500 a plate. Rene Rizepi was an abusive, angry chef. He actually uh, took anger management classes. It didn't help, but it turns out that uh, much of their uh, much of their talent, much of their interns, they were abused, some of them. Uh, same thing with, with Chez Panisse, the, the level of sexual harassment that came out of some of the top chefs who worked there uh, went under the, the drug use culture in the restaurants at, at that level. The drug use is insane at the top level of restaurants. I, you don't have to hear Anthony Bourdain talk about it. Talk to uh, any chef who works at high-end restaurants, the, the open use of cocaine, marijuana, other drugs, LSD among the high-end chefs to, for inspiration and mushrooms and the like. It's there, but now here's here's the thing. Noma's closing. It's shutting down. It's a three-star Michelin restaurant. It is closing its door, the most famous restaurant on earth. Why? Because the chef, Rene Redzepi, has decided it's not sustainable. You will not be surprised to learn that this comes after they began to pay their interns. $50,000 a month, not per intern, total budget, $50,000 a month. Some of the interns only work two weeks. Some of them work all month. They have enough of them to do all the dirty deeds that the top chefs don't want to do, the peeling the potatoes, the the building um, replica beetles out of vegetable parts and things like that. They, the, the big chefs don't want to do it, so they get these interns, and they're so renowned that they allow these interns to come work for them as slaves for free for weeks on end, and now they've decided they had to pay them. And why did they have to pay them? This gets to the heart of the matter. The progressive elite in the world love places like this. And they think that you and I should be able to grow our gardens in the backyard. They'll give our kids obesity drugs to lose weight. And you and I should grow our own gardens. And we should all be farm to table. It is something the poor cannot do. And the rich are so out of touch they think it can. 
and they're perfectly willing to turn a blind eye to the drug use, the sexual harassment, and the abusive behavior of the top chefs on these places that they can go to for $500 and get an unusual gross meal that you and I don't even want to pay $500 for, but it gives them social value within their circle of friends, and they will turn a blind eye to all the bad stuff, just as they did with Harvey Weinstein, just as they did with Bill Clinton, just as they do with their favorite politicians, until it becomes something they cannot ignore, and then the people who did the abusive behavior with very rare exceptions, Harvey Weinstein being one of the exceptions, they can essentially pay for their sins. It is an indulgence that they pay and get their way into the the left-wing heaven. And this chef and this restaurant began spending $50,000 a month to pay for the interns who they continued to treat poorly, but now at least they were getting money so that the left could sleep well at night. And what's the ultimate end here? They now got to close the restaurant because they can't afford to keep it going. And the left isn't going to pay more than 500 bucks a plate for grilled reindeer heart on a bed of pine needles. All of this stuff is about pretension and show. The left is about image. It's why so much of the cultural elite are of the left because they're about image and appearance and things that are just so. And when it gets exposed as a fraud, they have a hard time dealing with it. And in fact, they tend to shame the people who laugh at it. You just don't understand it. You just don't get it. But more importantly, too many of the far fringe left try to impose the values of that place on the rest of us. They want the rest of us to go forage. They want the rest of us to have the small garden in the backyard. Not them. They'll make their staff do it. They'll make their servants do it. They can go to the restaurants. The rest of us are supposed to live this way. And eventually, there's a cost, and it catches up to them. Noma, the gold standard, the three Michelin-starred, most famous restaurant on planet Earth, is shutting its doors, not because of the chef's inappropriate behavior and anger that was well-documented. No, no, the left would still go to him. Not because of the abuse of the interns. He threw money at that problem, so the left would still go to him. It's that the indulgences have finally caught up with him. And the moral of the story is not about two restaurants, or even a handful of restaurants and the progressive left in the world. It's about the progressive left in general. Eventually, the bill comes due, and they can't spend other people's money. They have to spend their own money. And climate change will be something they no longer care about when they can't spend our money but must spend their money. These other problems we see in society, they will become problems for the left when they can't spend our money. They have to spend their money. And now one of their places that was willing to pay the indulgence to get out of jail, to get out of sin, to get out of the bad behavior, is now going out of business and depriving them of one of their luxuries. And the guy, the chef, is saying this has become unsustainable. It was always unsustainable. It always was. But it just took a while for the left to figure that out. And yet, they still want you to go grow your garden and give your fat kid drugs. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee, and now more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible, and there are absolutely 
absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. There's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or even reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses, so don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free five-minute questionnaire at Refunds with an S, RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. You are more than welcome to call in. Uh, So... The media, the left, they were all convinced the Russian trolls were deeply influential. You remember all of the hand-wringing about uh, trolls on social media and and all the Russian bots and Russian trolls during the 2016 election and how, oh, people were persuaded to vote for Trump by the Russian trolls on social media. turns out a new nonpartisan study shows that simply was not true. 52% of Democrats believed it was true in December 2016. That had risen to 67% by March of 2019, according to a YouGov poll. According to Max Boot of the Washington Post in 2018, that without the Russians, Trump would not have won. And he claimed there was some level of of persuasion on social media. Tens of thousands of Russian bots spread pro-Trump messages. Well, actually, uh, we do now have a review of all of it, and turns out they were not deeply persuasive at all. New York University Center for Social Media and Politics looked at it, said there weren't enough people, they weren't concerned, it wasn't a problem, and it didn't affect anybody. So there you have it, folks. Uh, The mythology that it somehow impacted people was nonsensical. Only 1% of Twitter users accounted for 70% of the exposure to accounts that Twitter identified as Russian troll accounts. Only 1% touched. Highly partisan Republicans were exposed to nine times more posts than non-Republicans. So, of course, they were already going to vote for Trump anyway. There was no measurable impact on political attitudes, polarization, and voter preference and behavior from the Russian accounts and posts. But if you listen to the media, you listen to the Democrats, they want you to know those Russian trolls were highly persuasive. Who cares what the facts are? The mythology and narrative are more important. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. All right. I I actually do. it's, It's not in the list. This deviation of all the stuff I was going to talk about. But let's spend a couple minutes on it. And then I'll move into what I was going to talk about. That game last night, unless you were a diehard University of Georgia fan, it was not a good football game in the the sense of it was the varsity team versus the peewee football team. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to TCU, but even if you're a TCU fan, you got to have gotten it. Georgia made its first touchdown in three minutes. Every time they got the ball, they tended to have a touchdown or at least could could um, get a field goal. It, it was, they, TCU was outmatched, which really does 
raised a question about what was going on with Michigan when TCU beat them. But there's a larger story. This is, I, I listen, this isn't a sports talk show. I get that. I, I know my place in the universe, and I am not an expert on sports. I need Mark Zeno in here or something, or Dave Briggs or somebody. But as someone who watches it, where it was a mistake, it seems like, in putting TCU into the mix as opposed to it, I will acknowledge it. will acknowledge it. I'm at pains to say it. My buddy Hugh, if he listens to this, is never going to let me live it down. But who would have given Georgia more competition? TCU or... Oh, God almighty. <sighs> Bama. Ugh, I said it. Alabama. I mean, really, who would have given them more? Or let, let's do other teams, uh, Tennessee even. Yeah, I know, Philip. I'll, I'll said Alabama, might as well say Tennessee. We're not going to say Auburn, folks, but what about LSU? In other words, the SEC against the SEC. Oh, listen, the Ohio State game was a really good game. Georgia's performance in that game Makes a little more sense when we understand that possibly the team had been out partying the night before the game. No excuse. The game was the game. It was a good game. It was a better game than this one. I mean, the, the, the field goal saved Georgia at midnight as the ball dropped. That was an exciting football game. But TCU blew Michigan out of the water. So what do we do to restructure this dynamic? And you've got the conferences are consolidating. You're turning into essentially uh, SEC and and all other comers. The, the SEC continues to add teams. What, they're going to add Oklahoma? They're going to add uh, Texas, which makes sense. If Texas A&M is going to be in the SEC, Texas should also be there. But I don't see where this heads at a point where it's not going to be uh, some level of of just complete mismatch. So you're getting uh, University of Texas, Oklahoma in the SEC. The Big Ten is getting USC and Oregon. If Big Ten were to add Clemson, maybe add Notre Dame, then you've got two near-peer mega conferences. And what about the rest of them? The Pac what? And, you know, when you take it, a buddy of mine actually just sent me this email. And by the way, you should note that there have only been two quarterbacks in college football in the championship game in the big game to do six touchdowns. That was Joe Burrow and now Stetson Bennett, who still sounds like a lacrosse name to me, but here we are. So uh, all of this to be said, uh, the schools with the most NFL Hall of Famers, Notre Dame has 13, Southern California is 13, Michigan 11, Ohio State 10, Miami, Florida uh, 9, Pittsburgh 9, Alabama 8, Syracuse 8, Minnesota 7, Illinois 6, although that dynamic I suspect is going to change over time. And I guess what I'm getting at is, I, I, in theory, I like the idea of a college football playoff championship. It's because, you know, if you go back to the BCS days, you could have the perennial arguments of who really was the best team, who really was number one, the coaches poll, the AP poll, all those things, who really was. Now we know Georgia is 
definitively, definitively, indisputably the number one college football team in America. And yes, while Alabama probably would have given Georgia a bigger fight than what TCU did, Alabama's team screwed itself out of that opportunity by the way they played their games. I mean, for Pete's sake, I love LSU, but LSU should not have beaten Alabama. LSU beat Alabama. Georgia beat LSU. So you people from Alabama keep saying it can kind of shut up because you lost to LSU. Who lost to Georgia? But that game last night was disappointment. I, I I suspect most people kind of like I did. I actually had tickets. I went to the LSU George game and I left at halftime. I knew it was going to be a blowout. It was a very obvious. Now LSU made made a bit of a comeback, but they still lost. It was going to be obvious. This game last night, I mean, in the first ten minutes, you could have turned it off and knew who would have won. And the dynamic there is you you get the sense that yes, Georgia was the best team, but it did not play someone that would give it a run for its money, and that was the disappointment of it. So how do you fix this? The college football playoffs were designed to get rid of the old bowl game system where you had all these bowl games, that, and no one really knew who was going to be like number one. And there was always the argument. And, of course, the Alabama fans every year said it was Alabama, whether it was or not. wasn't. But something was deeply flawed in the process last night. They want to expand it as well. They want to expand the number of playoff games. I don't think they can at this point unless they they refigure how they're going to do it. It just wasn't. Look, I, I, I'm glad Georgia won. As, as someone who my flagship station and most of all my stations are in Georgia, I, my whole family here, they they don't particularly. I'm the only one in the family that likes Georgia. My, my wife's dad went to Georgia Tech. My family, they're all LSU. I root for Georgia and I root for LSU. And when they play each other, it depends on where they play. That's my rule. You could hate me for it, but those are my two teams. And then in the NFL, I got the Saints and I got Green Bay. I, I've never rooted for the Falcons. I've never been a Falcons fan. Love the Braves. Love the Braves. And the Cubs. Those are my two teams. But the Saints and the I own the Pack. I am an owner of the Packers. I have to root for that team. I, we got to do something with that team. But nonetheless, I, I, I this isn't a sports talk show. I get that. But my, my larger point is... And I'm going to spend some time on this in the next hour. Collectively as a nation, our nation only comes together with shared things that are involving sports these days. Everybody watches their own stuff. You're watching Disney Plus. Someone else is watching HBO. Someone else is watching Apple TV Plus. Someone else is watching Paramount Plus. Someone else is watching Amazon Prime. Someone else is watching cable TV. Someone else is watching basic cable. Someone's not watching TV. Everybody turns on television to watch the Super Bowl. Everybody turns on television to watch the college football championship. Well, I shouldn't say everyone, but you get my point. Most people do. The most watched things on television are sporting events. And when you put on a sporting event like that, everybody turns off after the first quarter. They're not getting what they expected, except the Georgia fans. They got back-to-back -back national championships. Congratulations to the University of Georgia. And then one more dynamic here, and I'll move on, is Stetson Bennett. I'm fascinated by this because he's a really good player. I think he's a better leader than he is a player as a quarterback. I, and look, I, again, I'm, I, I couldn't do what he did. I can barely throw a football. I get it. But I've always thought on the team he just seemed to be like he was a good player, but probably the weak link on the team. 
and yet he has done a remarkable feat. But the weird thing is watching that game last night, is he going to be on a football field again? And I don't know that the answer is that he will. But he threw for three touchdowns and two interceptions in uh, the SEC championship game against Alabama and then led them to victory in the rematch. The first time Georgia won the national title since 1980. And then again, last night, 65 to 7. It was kind of remarkable. And this guy's a walk on. He wasn't recruited. He was a walk on. It just, it's a remarkable, remarkable story. And yet, it's also kind of depressing at the end that normally you think of a guy like that, you're going to go on and you're going to make bajillions of dollars in the NFL. And he's going to be okay financially. Don't get me wrong. But that may be it. I don't know. I'm just, I'm that side of the story there, that unknown of what comes next for him is also something that deeply fascinates because he was a great leader of that team. Now, again, it's not a sports show, but I am fascinated just as a human being who pays attention to sports. I'm really fascinated by how the college football playoff was supposed to solve the uncertain dynamics of the BCS system where you had a bunch of bowl games and everyone argued over who really was number one and which bowl game really was the top bowl game and and was it really true and was it really fair? And now we've got a college football playoff championship that was supposed to solve this problem and people watched that game last night and they're like, really? TCU was the number two team? Really? No, they weren't. But something happened to Michigan. And again, Alabama, I get it. But you lost to LSU who lost to Georgia, so you lost the ability to say, but Bama, but Bama, but Bama, they lost. Maybe next year they won't. It's going to be exciting to see what Saban does. Okay, now I've said enough on this. I will take some calls. We got somebody wants to talk about it. 877-973-7425. Mark, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric, how are you? I, Good, how are you? I appreciate it. I'm doing great. I appreciate your uh, your thoughts on the sports here and forgetting like the X and O's of the sports, just like you. Structurally, what's going on with college football, I think it's pretty fascinating and something to kind of understand. And the, um, you know, one of the big, the big changes, just to note, if you're going to kind of predict how it all lays out and the consolidation of power, so to speak, at, at, in the college football ranks, it's it's becoming more of a competition between networks, right? I mean, it's, it's D- Disney and ESPN and ABC ha- are, are in bed with SEC. That's their big contract. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. what is it, a five, $6 billion deal? I mean, you, you have uh, Fox, CBS, and NBC teamed up um, with the Big Ten on a $7 billion deal over, I think, eight years. I mean, it's just massive amount of money. And now, you, now that you're paying the players NIL money for advertisements, if if the only way to get those advertisements is to have TV access. And mm-hmm. the only way to get TV access is if you're going to be aligned with the big networks. And there's really two conferences that are wildly aligned with them right now. And so, you know, you don't care about Title IX. You don't care about any of that stuff. There's so much money now going to those two big conferences from those competing um, networks. I mean, really, the, the win for Georgia is a win for the SEC, which is an, a win for the for ESPN and ABC versus the other networks that they're competing against. So I think it's, yeah. it's more of a media versus media play 
um, than it is the traditional, you know, just team versus team in amateur sports. That, that's a, that is a very interesting and good way to talk about it because, yeah, the, the media has a dog in this as well. And if it's a – got to imagine that ESPN had to have called the college football board and said, hey, guys, uh, for next year's programming, you're going to have to do better for us to deliver the ratings to be able to monetize this. And then, yeah, you got you get the SEC. Uh, if if the ACC were to break up in some way, and the, the big Big Ten grow, and and it just it's we're looking at a business that I've got a lot of friends who believe could actually probably, if marketed right, in the next five years, overtake the NFL, just because people have so much college loyalty over time. And, and you know, one of the other aspects there, Mark, and, and thanks for the phone call on this, is uh, with that rivalry in the marketing and and whatnot for college football over time you also now have this renewed antagonism towards the nfl i don't know if y'all saw the scientific america is actually running a a story about how the racial discrepancies of violence in the nfl and black men take it the hardest in the nfl and you've got the the left yet again blasting the nfl for being um racially insensitive or some such they hate absolutely hate the game it's probably easier for them to fundamentally disrupt the nfl than it is college sports given the moneymaker college sports is for a lot of colleges. Um, but I, I, the, it's just the dynamic of this. I think we're at the beginning and not the end of some profound ups and downs and, and shakeups when it comes to the sport of football within college. Now, you need to have some disruptions and shakeups in your house if you got smelly air. And let me recommend the Eden Pure Thunderstorm to you. It wipes out bad odors really does wipe out bad odors. You can get three of them for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. What you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com on the front page of the website. In fact, I'm going to do it for you right now. Let me move my mouse over here. We go EdenPure, not EdenPure.com, but EdenPureDeals.com. You see Radio and Bias, welcome listeners. Enter your host code. You put in Eric, E-R-I-C-K, and the number three, no space. You click submit. says, congrats, your savings are loaded. There it is, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack. Normally $387. You get three of them for less than $200. You add them to your cart. When you go to your cart and check out, you see the price, you're like, what on earth? Click the orange checkout button, and then you'll see the discount code to be applied at checkout, and boom, it just works. You get them for less than $200. It wipes out smoke odors, pet odors, litter box odors, fry odors, musty odors, stinky odors. You get three of them upstairs, downstairs, your car, your travel bag, whatever you need. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. Yes, you should. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, if your business wants to grow, reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. I mentioned to you a while back the story of the school in uh, in Virginia, Thomas Jefferson High School, uh, School of Technology and whatnot. It was under investigation because the principal there withheld knowledge of national merit scholarships to students disproportionately to Asian students who then could not relay it on their college applications and did so, it appears, because the principal didn't want to hurt the feelings of other kids who didn't get them. Well, the attorney general in Virginia is announcing an expansion of the investigation because... Parents at two Fairfax County, Virginia high schools have now received the surprise that 
Their schools also withheld information. Langley High School President Kim Greer sent out an email Friday night to congratulate students who were awarded commendations in the National Merit Scholarship Corporation. Uh, on Saturday night, Westfield High School Principal Tony Debari sent out an almost identical email telling parents it has come to light that Westfield High School students designated as commended students this past fall were not notified. Uh, commended students do not continue in the competition for National Merit Scholarships, but some do become candidates for special scholarships. Parents of students expressed their dissatisfaction, claiming withholding of the notification was racially motivated with a bias towards Asian American students, and in fact, disproportionately, they were ignored. Unreal. So the Attorney General is investigating. It's a violation of the Virginia Human Rights Act.